Well, who's excited to continue our series in the book of Galatians? We have a couple of weeks left in the book uh, leading up to our family camp this year. Anybody excited for family camp? Yeah, I know uh, I'm already getting ready for that. And uh, we already had the trailer in use for the last uh, 16 days. We were on a 16-day journey through some of the national parks uh, with my family. Uh, We got to go to Grand Tetons National Park. Anybody been there? Yeah, Grand Tetons. Then we went up to Yellowstone National Park. And then all the way up uh, to Glacier National Park in Montana. And uh, we, we had a great time together as a family. And uh, we just uh, did some hiking, saw a lot, of, a lot of nature and animals, and just enjoyed a time together to get away from it all and just uh, kind of um, recharge and really appreciative of this time that I've had um, on sabbatical. And so I'm also excited to be with you this morning, continuing our series in Galatians. I've entitled this message, The Responsibilities of Freedom. Who agrees that with great freedom comes great responsibility? Amen? Amen. Here's a, here's a, a quote that I have for this morning from a popular comic strip, Peanuts. Uh, Lucy asked Charlie Brown, why are we here on earth? And Charlie Brown thinks for a moment and he replies, to make others happy. Lucy ponders this for a moment and then she asks, then why are others here? Yeah, you would think uh, that would be to make me happy, right? That's what probably she was thinking. And, And yet... She's not a theologian by any means, but the book of Galatians chapter 5 verse 13 says this. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Those who are blessed with freedom have a responsibility to use that freedom to serve others. We're here for other people, especially those who are in need. We just talked about it with about kids. There's a lot of kids in need in this community. And we're here, we're we're positioned here as God's people, as God's church to meet the needs of others, especially those who are suffering. In 1939, Adolf Hitler in the Third Reich rolled through Poland in a blitzkrieg campaign. And they didn't care about who they were going to harm or hurt or, or make submit to their authority. As they rolled through Poland and eventually took over France, the United States was still in isolation. We had gone through World War I. We had suffered great casualty as a nation. And we weren't interested in the affairs of the world. We just, we just wanted to keep to ourselves. And yet Winston Churchill in March of 1940 became Chancellor of England and Great Britain, and he stood alone trying to oppose the tyranny of this man and his regime, Adolf Hitler. And so he was in constant communication with the United States and and President Roosevelt, and he, he pleaded with this nation on the other side of the sea that was free, that enjoyed the blessings of freedom and liberty, While his nation was under fire and under tyranny, he pleaded for additional resources and for help. And yet the Congress of America, and yet the the president himself had run on a platform of staying out of international conflict. 
But Roosevelt's heart went out to Churchill and the people of England. And he, and he began a campaign to try and assist them in any way that he could. And it led to the passing of the Lend-Lease Act in, in, the, in, the, in the summer of 1940. And it allowed the United States to basically lend resources to England. And because of that act, they were able to get the supplies to continue to hold off Hitler and his regime for just another period of time. It kind of sustained them from completely falling into the hands of Hitler during that time. Eventually, of course, it would take the bombing of Pearl Harbor in 1941 for the United States to finally come alive and fully come awake to the evils of the Axis powers of both Japan and Germany. And they entered the war fully at that time. And through great sacrifice, great bloodshed, eventually freedom was won for the world. You know, this is, this is really the story of the gospel. It's a picture of a spiritual reality that we enjoy as God's people. You see, God realized that when people had sinned, fallen into sin, the Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us turned to our own way. The Bible says that when that took place, there was separation between a holy and perfect and righteous God and a sinful and rebellious people. And that, that separation was something that caused slavery, caused tyranny. We were slaves to sin and we were doomed to the result of sin. The Bible says in Romans chapter 6 verse 23, it says this, For the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. Death deserves a punishment. Sin deserves a punishment and that punishment is death. And death is a separation between a holy God and a sinful people. God could have left it that way, and he would have been righteous, and he would have been just in allowing it to proceed with us being forever separated from him because of our sinful rebellion. All of us had turned away from God and his righteous standards to our own agenda. And if we're honest, we can think about times in our life where we've done that. We've turned away from what God has to say is right and good, and we've chosen a different path, a path of selfishness, a path of destruction for ourselves and others. God could have left us in that state, and it would have been fine. But God is love. And thank, thank God that God is love, because the Bible says that he wasn't willing to leave us in that state. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. The Bible says that God loved us so much that he sent his only son. That whoever would believe on him would have everlasting life, eternal life. The Bible says that God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were still sinners... Christ died for us. Do you realize that God went to great lengths and great sacrifice 
to secure and to win our freedom. He loved us so much that he wasn't willing to leave us separated from him forever. And so he provided a way, and that way is through his only son, Jesus, who lived forever from eternity past. He is one with God, and yet the Bible says that he was willing to take on humanity and flesh, come to this earth and suffer and die for our sins on our behalf to win us a great victory. Listen to the way the book of Hebrews describes that in chapter 2, verse 14. Now, since the children have flesh and blood in common, Jesus also shared in these, so that through his death, he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. Do you realize that apart from a relationship with God, we fear death, do we not? Maybe you just feel like, man, I don't know where I would go. People out there I've talked to that don't know Jesus, they, they kind of think, well, I'm just going to go into the ground and worms are going to eat me. That's, they, that's what they think about their future. And so they're kind of like, well, let's just live, live what we can while we can. That's not the reality. The reality is that you're going to live on for eternity. God made us as eternal beings. We are made in the image and likeness of God himself. We have an eternal destination ahead of us. And that destination is either with God forever because of Christ or separated from God forever in a place called hell, a place of torment, a place of punishment for sin that sin righteously deserves to be punished. Jesus took that punishment upon himself. He was willing to become like us, become flesh, take our place, and he died on a cross for our sins. But three days later, he proved that he had the authority to defeat death and the grave, and he rose from the grave. We celebrate that every Easter, his resurrection. From the dead. I say all of this because God is a God who desires that you be free from your sin and the penalty of your sin, which is death. And the book of Romans says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you too can enjoy that freedom and that salvation. You see, I can't pray some sort of prayer over you. You can't just Come to church. You can't do good things and find your way back to a right relationship with God the Father. It's impossible. There's only one way. God has provided the way to a right relationship with him, and it's through his son, Jesus Christ. We have to have faith in who Jesus is. It says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart, that God raised him from the dead, that he's truly a victorious Lord and Savior. We can be saved. We can have freedom. This morning, my challenge, before we even dive into the rest of Galatians, is this. Have you received the freedom that God wants for you, that God won for you through his son and through his sacrifice of Jesus Christ? If you haven't, you can celebrate freedom today, but it's only going to be temporal. 
If you receive Jesus as Lord, it's permanent. It's forever. It's eternal. It's everlasting. That's what God wants for you. That's what he wants for me. Have you bowed your knee and your heart before Jesus? Is he your Lord and Savior? Does he get to call the shots of your life? I pray that you've received that free gift of salvation. You can't earn it. There's nothing you can do. It's grace. It's God's favor, unmerited favor into our lives because of his love, his great love. I pray that you've received that this morning. Let me open in prayer. Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you for your freedom that you won for us through your son, Jesus Christ. God, we can't go any further in celebrating freedom until we truly understand, know, and appreciate who you are and the freedom you've won us. A freedom that's everlasting. A freedom that will never diminish. Is never in jeopardy. God, as we celebrate the freedom of this land, I pray that we might have freedom in our lives as well. Freedom from the penalty of sin because of what Jesus has done and our faith in him. If there's anyone in this room that has not done that, I pray that your Holy Spirit might lead their heart to bow their knee today and confess you, Jesus as Lord. I pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Galatians chapter 5, as I said earlier, chapter 13, is kind of the launching point of today's message. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Paul's going to start to talk about, he, we, we've just come out of like, you can either live for the flesh or you can live for the spirit. Galatians chapter 5. And now he's going to get really practical. What does it look like to live in the spirit? What does it look like to use the freedom that you've been given to love and serve others? This morning we're diving in. Will you join me in Galatians chapter 6? We're going to read the first 10 verses together. Brothers, if someone is caught in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual should restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves, so you also won't be tempted. Carry one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone considers himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each person should examine his own work, and then he will have a reason for boasting in himself alone, and not in respect to someone else. For each person will have to carry his own load. The one who is taught the message must share all his good things with the teacher. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he will also reap. Because the one who sows to his flesh will reap corruption from the flesh. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. So we must not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, we must work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. 
This morning we're going to dive through these verses, talk about four responsibilities that we have because of the freedom that Christ has given us. Four responsibilities this morning. Number one, the first responsibility is when you see someone fall, you should seek to pick them up. Pretty simple, right? If you see someone fall, you should seek to pick them up. Those of you who are free. Look at verse 1. Brothers, if someone is caught in any wrongdoing. This wrongdoing is just another word for sin. Another word for choosing something that's apart from God's will. It says brothers and sisters. It implies people in the church, people that are free. If you see someone who is ensnared by sin. The picture is literally that of somebody who's running a race. But sin being very powerful and very alluring and very quick overtakes that runner and entangles them, catches them up, snags them. The book of Hebrews talks about it can entangle and ensnare us and cause us to trip up in the race that God intends us to run. If you're honest with yourself, even those of us who are free in Christ have experienced something like that at one time or another. Jesus set us on the path of freedom, and yet sin comes along, temptation comes along, and we get tripped up because it's powerful. Because the devil is very cunning and deceitful. He can make something that is wrong look right. And we can get entrapped in that. We can get ensnared in that, and suddenly the race of freedom that God wants us to experience, we're not running anymore. We're caught up. So the Bible says that those of you who are free, if you see someone who's caught up in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, spiritual is not you know, some extra level of spirituality. It's those who are walking in the Spirit not according to the flesh. Those of us in the church, those of us who are called to freedom, who are walking with God, if we see someone else fall, if we see someone else ensnared in sin, our reaction should not just be too bad for them. Condemnation. They deserve it. Look what they chose. No, our response should be, listen to what Paul says here, should restore. The word restore in the Greek is Catartize, which literally means to mend or to set straight. How many have ever had a broken bone? And you've gone in and you've received a cast. What's the purpose for the cast? It's to allow that, the bone to heal and to be set straight again so that you can have full function once more. The secular Greek term is that broken bones would heal. But in the New Testament, this word was used many times for the mending of nets. Fishermen would have nets that would break. And they would use this Greek word to describe what it means to bring that net back to full function again. You see, a net was intended for a purpose, was it not? To catch fish. But if there's a hole in the net, it's not very effective anymore, is it? And so they would use their skills to mend the net so that it could fulfill its full purpose and functionality again. That's what God intends the church to be doing with those who have fallen into sin. That's what we are to do. Those who are spiritual should restore such a person with a gentle spirit. There's your approach. 
you're an idiot. Why'd you choose that? That's not what God's calling us to do. It's with a gentle spirit. It's with a heart of tenderness. We are to speak the truth in what? In love. That's what we're called to do. Watching out for yourselves so that you also won't be tempted. Literally, so that you won't fall into the same entrapment, the same sin. When we see someone fall, we should pick them up. Why does Paul use this illustration? Why does Paul start out when he starts talking about the practical implications of being set free and walking in the Spirit? Why does he start here? Because he knows who he's having to write against. The legalists, the Judaizers, the Pharisees of the time. They were the ones who appeared spiritual on the outside, but Jesus said they were full of dead men's bones on the inside. Paul knew that. Call to mind how the Pharisees dragged the woman who was caught in adultery before Jesus. What was their intent? To stone her, to kill her. It wasn't to mend her. It wasn't to help her out. It wasn't to set her straight again in love. No, it was to give her punishment, to give her shame. How did Jesus intervene in that situation? With love, with tenderness. And at the end of the experience, he mended her heart and set her straight. That's what we're called to do in the church. As little Jesuses, we're called not to condemn, but to be concerned for people who are caught in sin. How about the Jewish mob? They almost killed Paul in Acts chapter 21 because they thought he had defiled the temple by bringing in a Gentile. They weren't worried about trying to gather the facts or the evidence or have a trial. No, they just jumped to conclusions and, and came out with venom and they sought to kill him in that moment because he had violated or they thought he had violated something sacred. We're not called to be legalists. We're called to be spirit-filled believers. He's contrasting the way a legalist would deal with an erring brother or sister versus the way a spiritual man or woman should deal with such a sinner. Do we condemn or are we concerned? You know how easy it is to kind of point the finger at someone else? Well, they just deserve it. Look at what they chose. Look at the destruction they're wreaking in their lives. But God's called us to be concerned, to have genuine, loving concern for that individual, to find ways to, to speak into that individual's life, to love on that individual, to try and point them back to once again being whole and being restored again into the family. Are we going to be callous, or are we going to be caring? You know, sometimes it's easy to just grow callous towards those individuals, is it not? You know, we see someone trip and fall on sin, or they just have a pattern of choosing the wrong, and, and guess what? Sin hurts. It hurts people. It's destructive, is it not? So we can kind of get on our high horse and go, I'm just done with that person. Just so done. But God's called us to, to continue to care for them. Imagine if God would have been done with a world of sinners. 
we'd all be in trouble. No, he cared for us. He loved us, the Bible says, so much that he was willing to take tremendous action that involved tremendous sacrifice to restore us to himself. Is his church, is his bride willing to do the same thing for those who have fallen and tripped up in sin? Or do we stand in judgment? Or do we just become callous in our hearts? And probably worst of all is becoming cold. Are we willing to have consistent communication? You know, it, sometimes it's too messy. I don't want to deal with it. I'm just cold to it. I'm so tired of it. As a pastor, trust me, you, you get to know a lot of situations that are ugly and messy. And sometimes you just want to go, I don't want to deal with this anymore. But then I read a passage like this and it says it's worth it. Keep on track with doing what you're called to do to seek to mend and to restore those who have tripped up in sin. You know, we've all known someone who's began a journey with Jesus and has become overtaken, entangled, and entrapped by sin. Whether it's a relative, a friend, maybe someone in the church, how are we going to respond to that individual? What's God calling us to do? He's calling us to work for the restoration of that individual. Work for the restoration of that individual. It's not passive, it's active. What does that look like? Well, sometimes start with prayer. Prayer is an active way to participate in the restoration of individual. As a matter of fact, I would say it's the most powerful way we can work. Because we access the God of heaven who says, if you have not asked, you don't have something because you have not asked. Are you pleading before the throne of God regularly for those individuals who are caught up and ensnared in sin? Start there. But maybe you have the type of relationship that can go further. You have the type of relationship where you have access to speak into that individual's life. Don't stop speaking truth and love. That's your responsibility. That's our responsibility. Keep pointing them back to restoration to repentance, and to getting back on track with God. That's what God's called us to do. Show them that God still loves them, and you do too. And that's why you're concerned about their life and what sin is doing to it. We need to walk this path in wisdom because there's a warning given to us at the end of this verse, and that is this. Watch out for yourselves. Why does Paul give us that warning? Why does God Give us that warning because he knows how powerful sin is. And if we get too involved with that person and the, and, and the walk that they're walking on, we too can start to stumble and fall in that same area. We have to be careful. We have to be wise in our approach. We need to do it in, sometimes in teams, right? Pity the man who has no one there when he falls. But a cord of Three strands is not easily broken. We need to do it in teams. We need to do it with one another in mind so that we don't end up getting burned ourselves. You know, I, I've been uh, trying to keep up with my kids recently on hiking, and it's, uh, it's a reminder every day that I'm just getting too old to try and hike up these mountains, but I try and keep up, but I remember about six years ago, I took my kids up Half Dome, 
And uh, I was carrying this pack of water because you got to get hydrated and, and, and food. And I was taking my 13-year-old and my 11-year-old sons on this all-day adventure. And you start up this first uh, waterfall uh, in Yosemite. It's uh, Vernal Falls, and it's the Mist Trail. I don't know if you guys have been on that. Uh, but it's very steep, and it's straight uphill. And I'm carrying this backpack, and I'm just feeling overwhelmed. And my 11-year-old son comes up next to me and goes, Dad, do you need me to carry that backpack for you? You know how humiliating that was in that moment? But do you know what I did? I gave him the backpack. Because I don't think I could have made it up that hill any further without carrying that load. Verse 2 talks about this concept. Carry one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. The word for burdens here is a heavy, crushing load that overwhelms or incapacitates us. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ was found in Galatians chapter 5, verse 14. And in John chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus talks about this law that he gives. A new command I give you, love one another. Well, that didn't sound new. That's in the Old Testament, Jesus. Well, here's the new part. As I have loved you, so you are to love one another. He came, he, he sacrificed, he had washed the disciples' feet moments before he had said those words. Though he was the king of the universe, he became low, like a servant. That's the type of approach and love we are to have one to another. Verse 3, for if anyone considers himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. See, you can't carry someone else's burden if you're all about yourself. You just won't do it. Because people who are on their own agenda, they're not willing to take a look at somebody who's overwhelmed and overburdened and, and drop their agenda, go back and grab that person's burden and help them carry it. It won't happen. We have to be humble in our view of ourself and of our own life and agenda. And that leads to responsibility number two. When you see someone overwhelmed, you assist them. Very simple stuff, right? Very simple stuff. But it's profound. When you see someone overwhelmed, you stop what you're doing and you assist them. I've experienced this a few times in my own life where I've seen someone overwhelmed. And yes, did I have my own plans? Did I have my own agenda? Yes, I did. But that agenda can be set aside. Because that person is more important than my agenda. That person's situation and need that has overwhelmed them, incapacitated them. They can't go any further. They need help. You might be the person that God's calling on in that moment to drop your agenda and help carry their burden. We have to be willing to do it as those who have experienced freedom in Christ. Because with great freedom comes great responsibility. The opposite of this was the Judaizers, the Pharisees. The legalists were not interested in bearing other people's burdens. Instead, they just added to people's burdens. Acts chapter 15, verse 10. Now then, why are you testing God by, by putting a yoke on the disciples' neck that neither our ancestors nor us have been able to bear? This is the whole reason for Paul writing Galatians. 
You see, the Judaizers had come into the church and say, you need Jesus, but you also need to get circumcised, and you need a bunch of other things. you got to follow the law. Paul says, quit adding burdens to people. You're supposed to be lightening people's burdens, not adding to it. Jesus said to the Pharisees in Matthew 23, verse 4, they tie up heavy loads that are hard to carry and put them on people's shoulders, but they themselves aren't willing to lift a finger to help move them. What a condemnation for those who sit around and create a bunch of rules but aren't willing to lift a finger to help people's lives. The legalist is always harder on other people than he he is on himself. But the spirit-led Christian demands more of himself than he does of others. Why? So that he can stand ready to help in their time of need. Here's a legalist. I don't have time. My agenda is too important. The spiritual man says, I'll set my agenda on hold to go and help the other. That's the good Samaritan, is it not? Do you remember the good Samaritan? He had an agenda. He was going somewhere. He was on a road traveling, and yet he comes across a man in distress. And he puts his agenda on hold, and what does he do? He he binds up the wounds of the person in need. He cares for them. Has God put someone else in our path that that is overwhelmed, that is burdened? Have we been willing to take that moment and respond to it the way that God wants us to? Are we ready to do that if if we haven't faced that yet? That's what God wants from us. The legalist says, it's not my problem. They made the mess. Let them suffer. You know, sometimes people do make their own mess. Sometimes people are overwhelmed because of their own choices. But I don't remember it saying in this verse that if the person made their own mess and is overwhelmed, then you're off the hook. It's not what God intends for us, is it? The spiritual man says, if one suffers, then we all suffer. How can I help relieve their pain? The legalist says, this is beneath me. They don't deserve my help. I'm too important. I have other things that are more valuable than this individual. The spiritual says, they matter to God, and they should matter to me. How can I help? Verse 4. But each person should examine his own work. His own work means the fruit of walking in the faith. Do you realize that James says if you have faith, you will produce work. And it should be the right kind of work. And then he will have a reason for boasting in himself alone. You can take pride in what God has done in your life through choosing a life of faith. That's what Paul's saying here. It's not about like boasting in your own accomplishments. It's about boasting in the work God has accomplished because you've trusted him. And not in respect to someone else. We aren't to compare with one another. We're not supposed to be like, well, compared to that guy, I'm pretty good. Have you seen that guy? That's not the intent here. The intent is compare yourself against what God wants us to be and do. Not what's going on in the life of another individual. For each person will have to carry his own load. Now you heard earlier in verse 2 it says to carry other people's loads, right? Burdens. And here it says every person has to carry their own load. Is Paul contradicting himself? Not at all. Do you know why? Because two different Greek words are used. In verse 2 the word is an overwhelming, incapacitating burden. 
that no one could handle. It just is overwhelming them. And in verse 5, it's a military backpack is being used. What you need if you're going to be a soldier, you got to be able to carry your own pack. Because you're walking in the battle and in the war. And God intends us to be soldiers in Christ. And in order to be an effective soldier, you can't ask somebody else to carry all your gear. You have to learn how to be able to carry your own gear. And that's what Paul is saying here in verse 5. I put it this way. If my car breaks down, my neighbor can help drive my children to school. Right? That'd be a way to bear my burden. My car isn't working. I need to get my kids to school. But he cannot assume the responsibility that only belongs to me as their father. Do you realize God has given us certain responsibilities as individuals that we can't just say, well, this is overwhelming for me, so somebody else needs to bear this burden for me. No. Being a father is a privilege and a responsibility, and I need to learn how to grow up and become a good father. No one else can be a father to my children but me. That's what God's intent was. It's wrong for me to expect that someone else be the father in my family. That is the burden and a privilege that I alone should be bearing. Verse 6, the one who has taught the message must share all his good things with the teacher. Don't be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he will also reap. Because the one who sows to his flesh will reap corruption from the flesh. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. Responsibility number three, use your freedom to contribute to God's agenda. Three things I see here where we can contribute. Number one, to pull your own weight. That's the idea that we all have certain responsibilities that are ours to bear. Maybe you're a father, maybe you're a mother, maybe you're a husband, maybe you're a wife. Maybe you're a friend to a certain individual. You're a coworker to certain people. I can't take that on. That's something you have to grow up into and bear that burden that God has given you because it's a privilege to take on those roles, is it not? God has blessed us with children, with fatherhood, with motherhood. We're called to step up into those responsibilities and not pass the buck and say, it's just too overwhelming, I can't do it. Number two, put your money where, your, where God's mouth is. It's kind of an interesting one that I thought of this week because of verse 6. The one who has taught the message must share all his good things with the teacher. The Apostle Paul says this many times in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, you can read about it. But he talks about this idea that those who are gaining spiritual nourishment, have a responsibility to support those that are providing it. Paul wanted to make sure that he wasn't a stumbling block to anyone receiving the gospel. And so he went over and beyond what was expected. He became a tent maker. He did anything he could to raise his own funds because he didn't want to put the burden on the church. That's great. But over and over again, he says that, that he had a right to expect that the one Plowing the field, so to speak, is worthy of being able to eat from that field. The Bible says that we should support those 
who are preaching the word. We are to support those who are ministering to our needs in that way. Put your money where God's mouth is. And number three, prioritize eternal things in all areas of your life. The Bible says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Wherever you sow is where you're going to reap. If you, if you sow into things that are temporal, that are just about your own self, your own agenda, your own flesh, you're going to reap the consequences of that. And you're not going to be happy because there's a sense that the things that are going to last forever, those are the things that are going to truly matter. Amen? Those are the things that we're going to delight in forever and ever and ever. So let's sow into those things. People are those things. People are eternal. Let's invest in relationships with people. Verse 9, as we wrap up, so we must not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, we must work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. The final responsibility I see in this passage, responsibility number four, is to use your freedom to create positive change in the world. Use your freedom. How did I word it on my slide? Work tirelessly for goodness sake. That's how I actually, I changed that one from my notes to the slide. Work tirelessly for the good of others. That's what we're called to do. Stay faithful in the work of sowing and watering good seeds and leave the harvest in God's timing. Do you realize that sometimes you can grow frustrated? You're like, I've been doing this. I've been planting a bunch of seeds. I've been investing in this person, and it doesn't seem to be paying off. Don't give up. It's God's timetable for the harvest, not yours. Your responsibility is to continue to be faithful in that role. Number two, make the most of every opportunity. Therefore, as we have opportunity, we must work for the good of all. You realize every day we're given opportunities. Every day is a new opportunity. How do we take advantage of the next opportunity? Are we praying, preparing, planting good seed in every opportunity? Number three, prioritize the needs of the disciples and work outward from there. Start with what's close to home. You know, I've seen people, you know, go off overseas, but they neglect their own responsibility at home. That's not good. What's good is to invest in the things that are close to what God's put in your life and then work outward from there. Because if we, if we fall apart with the things that are close, we're no good for the things that are further away. Amen? So we have to start there. I'm going to invite the worship team forward. We're going to respond this morning with, with awesome praise and worship to this message. In a few minutes, we will be taking communion together. It's a time when we're called to draw close to God with pure hearts and remember the freedom that he won for us through his death and his victory on the cross. If God has spoke to you this morning about wanting to set you free from the penalty of sin, the separation from God forever. And you responded, you invited Jesus to be Lord of your life. Praise God, you are truly free. I urge you 
to tell someone of your decision before you leave here today so they can rejoice with you and pray with you and encourage you in your new life in Jesus. If God's Spirit through His Word challenged you today about how you walk in freedom responsibly, loving others ahead of yourself, investing in His kingdom ahead of your own, take this moment to allow God to reign in your life in that area and move forward in His will. And let someone know that you trust how God spoke to you this morning. It could be me. I want to pray for you. I want to encourage you. But it might be someone else, and that's okay. But I encourage you to talk with someone so they can encourage and pray for you in a decision that you've made as God has spoken to you this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word, God. We thank you for the challenge, for the responsibilities you've given us because of freedom. God, we just rejoice in the freedom that you've given us, but help us to not be selfish with that freedom, but to serve others in love. God, we just thank you for the opportunity, God, we have to be your ambassadors in this world. Help us to be faithful. Help us to be true. In Jesus' name, amen.